Thank you for tuning in to Strange Studies of Strange Stories. The following podcast is from our original show, the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast, which ran over 600 episodes from 2009 to 2022, and is exactly the kind of thing you can expect from us here, albeit with an expanded focus on all the best in horror, science fiction, and fantasy. There's a new free episode every month, or subscribe at patreon.com slash witchhousemedia to get new shows every week. Thanks again, and enjoy. Dear Madam, I do hope you will forgive this presumptuous letter from a complete stranger. What I am about to write, madam, may shock you no end. However, I am determined to lay bare before you a confession, my own, and to describe in detail the terrible crime I have committed. For many months, I've hidden myself away from the light of civilization, hidden, as it were, like the devil himself. In this whole wide world, no one knows of my deeds. However, quite recently, a queer change took place in my conscious mind, and I just couldn't bear to keep my secret any longer. I simply had to confess. All that I have written so far must certainly have awakened only perplexity in your mind. However, I beseech you to bear with me, and kindly read my communication to the bitter end. Because if you do... You will fully understand the strange workings of my mind, and the reason why it is to you in particular that I make this confession. HPPodcraft.com I got something to confess. What is it? I love this time of year. I love the songs. I love the food. I love the decorations. I love it all. Well, that's quite a confession. (laughs) Do you think... Do you think the confession we're going to hear in the story is similar? Like, the man who's writing this letter just wants to admit that he loves the holidays, maybe? Yeah, I think that's probably it. That would be strange for a story called The Human Chair, which is, by the way, what we're covering. So maybe The Human Chair, it's about sitting on Santa's lap. It's that kind of thing. (laughs) I haven't seen that movie, The Human Centipede, but I always just assumed that was about a really fun conga line. So maybe it's, yeah, it's a similar kind of thing. I have not seen the film, but I think I'm pretty sure that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's just an office party that gets a little nuts. (laughs) You know, this month we were talking about doing Frankenstein in December mm-hmm. here. You know, that story, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Heard of it. Uh, we haven't really uh, gotten our act together. No. Well, we're <laughs> going to get we're gonna get to that book soon, but we need to coordinate with some guests as well that we wanted to have on. And yes. It's the holiday season. Folks are, are busy. You know, also, lately I hear things like they say, 40 is the new 20. What? And they may be correct because I'm getting my wisdom teeth pulled. Oh, God. <laughs> next week. <laughs> Yeah, when I was younger, the dentist, they said, they're looking good back there, coming in straight, you don't need to worry about them. But they were wrong, because one of them busted out a bit, and I've got... It's making my molar a human chair, actually. Oh. The, the wisdom tooth. Oh, no. And it's caused this infection that is currently torturing me. Oh, so I'm in a lot God. of pain. I can only open my mouth a little bit, kind of like, you know that little slot that C-3PO has for a mouth? <laughs> that, that's kind of yeah. kind of what I'm talking out of right now. So if I sound if I sound a little weird, that's why. You're doing good, though. So, you know, I'm really ready to put this year to bed. I know a lot of our listeners probably feel the same about 2016. Sure. And and so anyway, we're not doing Frankenstein. We're going to be focusing on our, on our listeners this month. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this month is going to be Listener December. We're taking requests from our listeners. So this month is a holiday potpourri. Listen Ember. My mom would always put out potpourri dishes around the holidays. You know, the colorful, oh yeah, flaky stuff. It smells good. I always kind of wanted to eat it. 
Don't. It, re- it looks like fruity pebbles or something. It doesn't taste like that, though. No, it doesn't. Well, so you've had the same desire. I I've, yeah, well, yeah, I have. <laughs> Gave it a little taste and it is not good. No. We've gotten lots of suggestions over the last year and we've been compiling a list. If you've got any story from a dead author that wrote something you think Lovecraft would have liked or mm. Lovecraft actually liked, we want to know about it. Yeah, yeah. This week's story is called The Human Chair and it's by Edagawa Rampo. This story was recommended by listener Valens999. Well, that's the handle. That's his handle or hers. Well, this story has been recommended to us several times over the years. Last year, it was recommended by Joyce Armios in an email. Oh, great. She also sent along links to a short film and a manga that are based on this story. Oh, neat. I haven't viewed either of those yet, but we'll link out to them in our show notes. If you folks like what we talk about today, you can check that out as well. So the author is Edogawa Rampo. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. Edgar Rampo. <laughs> Did you catch that? Yeah, I, I think it sounds similar to some other author. It's it's Rampo with an N, as in Rand Paul. Uh, although <laughs> it is often romanized as Rampo with an M, like like Rampo. Rambo. Right. Yeah. He's Japanese. And I don't think we've covered a Japanese author on this show yet, have we? No, I don't think we have. What was his real name? Taro Hirai, born in 1894, just four years after Lovecraft was born. He had his first mystery story published in 1923 called The Two Sen Copper Coin under the pen name, Ed, I want to say Edgar Allan Poe. Well, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's right? supposed to sound like Edgar Allan Poe because he was really influenced by Poe and Western authors. Yeah, so this is a natural transition from Poe-vember. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you read about this guy, it says, if you say it quickly, it's supposed to sound like Edgar Allan Poe, but I tried doing that, you know. Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, no, kind of, kind of, it does kind of, yeah. Maybe. Uh, he went on to write a number of mystery stories and sort of became the father of Japanese detective stories. Mm-hmm. He died in 1965. Yeah, although there were other Japanese authors writing crime and detective stories, he was the first to really bring in that element of deductive reasoning that works so well for Poe and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah. Something else I found interesting when I was reading his bio said, although many of his first stories were primarily about sleuthing and the processes used in solving seemingly unsolvable crimes during the 30s, he began to turn increasingly to stories that involved a combination of sensibilities often called iroguru nonsensu from the three words eroticism, grotesquerie, and the nonsensical. <laughs> the mm. presence of these sensibilities helped him sell his stories to the public, which was increasingly eager to read his work. I guess that's like Robert E. Howard putting more and more sex into the Conan stories. Oh, right, yeah. To get people to read them. <laughs> but it says, one finds in these stories from the 30s a frequent tendency to incorporate elements of what the Japanese at that time called abnormal sexuality. Mm. For instance, a major portion of the plot of the novel, The Demon of the Lonely Isle, serialized from January 1929 to February 1930, involves a homosexual doctor and his infatuation for another main character. Mm-hmm. So Rampo, he's not afraid of the sex and he's not afraid of what would have been deemed aberrant sacks at the, at yeah. the time. And we're certainly going to discover that in the story. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's dig in. Uh, the story starts off with a woman author. She lives with her husband. He is a diplomat. She gets a lot of fan mail because she is a well-known author and very talented. It's usually the same type of stuff, which I guess is a lot like my fan mail. Mm-hmm. You know, it says things like, you know, you're a hack. Why are you riding on Pfeiffer's coattails all the time? <laughs> That's that's not fan mail. It's not? She's such a good author that her work even outshines her husband's career. Yeah. Big deal in the early 20th century. 
She also gets manuscripts and said it was not uncommon for her to receive the efforts of amateur writers seeking her valuable criticism. In most cases, these were long-winded, pointless, and yawn-provoking attempts at writing. She gets one particular manuscript with a note on it, which is what we read at the top of the show. And that reader at the top of the show is one of our favorites, John Hancock. <laughs> I'm glad to have John back on the show, and I'm sorry it took us about 10 minutes to, to tell you that he, he's the reader. But... <laughs> He's the man who's doing it for us this week. I almost feel like I didn't need to say anything because everybody knows that voice. Even if they've never heard the show before, they <laughs> they just know. It touches on some human instinct. You go, yes, this is John Hancock. Uh, this person is confessing something that he has done or is doing, and he feels the need to confess even though no one knows what he is doing. Yeah, it's not clear yet. But the manuscript is immediately interesting to her. That her curiosity aroused to the bursting point, and she was spurred on by some unknown magnetic force to read this. So once again, we've got a nested story. You know, most of the story is this anonymous man's letter. I thought this really made good use of that. I, you can really kind of see her there reading it. You got enough of an introduction that even though I'm taking in the story, I'm very, I was very conscious that it's this woman reading this letter the whole time. Yeah. And I think the fact that it's a confession kind of immediately established some tension. Well, there's some misdeed has been done if you're confessing it. So what exactly. is this misdeed and how horrible is it? So I'm, mm -hmm. it's great because I'm anticipating, I'm just waiting to find out what this thing is. Yeah. The first thing he lays out is that he is ugly. Ugly beyond description is what he says exactly. He says he is horrific due to months of unsanitary living. That gets me thinking right away, sewer dweller? <laughs> is this a chud story? More Chud. I'm not sure. He says even though he's ugly, his heart is filled with passion. And I make mm -hmm. a mental note of that because love is what I would be thinking you would be saying. But no, he says passion. Right. Passion is not necessarily a good thing. I mean, you can beat a guy with passion. Passion is how they define second degree murder. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Since this guy is so ugly, he's become an artist or mm. that's what his life path has led him down. Yeah. And I know the feeling, man. Oh, come on. First the <laughs> first the hate mail and now this. Well, you've been endowed by nature with artistic talent, so you've got one up on this guy. Because he says, I don't have any natural talents. I'm a lowly cabinet maker. He's got to become a craftsman. I think anybody could be a really good artist. It's a, it's a matter of practice. Yes. It's, I think it's, anybody, if you practice enough, you can get good at something. And his art is chair crafting. Yeah. And at this point, I think, oh, okay, this is the confession. It's going to be an Ed Gein kind of thing. Like he's going to make a chair out of a person. Right. I was thinking that, too. Well, you know what? It's funny. I, I thought about that. But then I also, every time I heard the name of the story, I imagined it would be about a person maybe growing into a chair, like becoming one with the chair because they've been there too long or something. All but right, on yeah. your point about making a person into a chair, I remember our friend, our old roommate Christian had said that when he died, he actually wanted his body to be made into something. All right. Yeah. He wanted, like, his bones to be made into art. And I was wondering, is that, what's the legality of that? Could you actually do that if you wanted to? It's totally legal. Yeah. It is? It's totally legal. Yep. So just go ahead and do that, Pfeiffer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, they'll be like, are you going to get buried? Do you want to be cremated? Uh, human chair. Human chair. So he got really good at making chairs because he practiced. Mm -hmm. Became one of the best. He's very skilled, and he eventually was making luxury chairs. He's able to only do luxury chairs. He's the only kind of business he does. He says, you may even consider me a braggart when you hear this, but it all seemed to me to be the same type of thrill 
which a true artist feels upon creating a masterpiece. This guy writing says that he made this one great chair, and when he sat on it, he tested it out, it was amazing, and that it was going to be in one of these highfalutin places. He himself felt like he deserved to be in a highfalutin place. Right. He deserved to be in a place that could afford his chairs. And he does this more and more with his chairs. After he completes it, he'll sit in it and just allow himself to dream of this better life, and, and he imagines romance as part of that which is unavailable to him in his real life because he's so ugly. Right. And you do feel sympathy for him. He writes, Imagine, madam, the pathetic figure I made, sitting comfortably in a luxurious chair of my own making and pretending that I was holding hands with the girl of my dreams. Uh, I, you know, he's that kind of deformed hero archetype. He's almost like yeah. a phantom of the opera or something like that. Right. The thing is, when he's imagining these things, he's always brought back to grim reality by the the filthy neighborhood he lives in, etc. Mm-hmm. And so it actually becomes a negative experience every time he finishes a new chair. Even though he has that little bit of fantasy, the snapping back to reality is has filled him with despair over time. Yeah. So one day he gets an order for this big leather chair for a foreign hotel in Yokohama. It's the kind of thing that would normally be imported, but his employer really talks him up. He's like, hey, I got a real ugly chair guy in town. He can give you a deal. <laughs> <laughs> real ugly, real savings. And he takes the job very seriously. He skips food. He skips sleep. He works this chair like nobody's business. This chair turns out to be his masterpiece. It's amazing. Super comfy, beautiful. It's just flipping awesome. Not too hard, not too soft. Perfect. And it gave me a little chair envy. The description sounded very comfortable. I wanted <laughs> He doesn't really want to give up this chair. So he has this idea and he <laughs> takes the chair apart. Yeah, because he's having those usual imaginings about where it's going to end up. He just doesn't want to part with it. He says that it's as if the devil himself were whispering in his ear when he concocts this scheme. Dude, now, did you have any idea what was coming here when you were reading the story? No, no, I, I really didn't. I, I didn't know that this was what was going to happen. For me, this is so out of left field that this yeah. is what the story is about. He says, with my usual skill as a craftsman, I remodeled the chair so that the knees could be placed below the seat, the torso and the head inside the backrest seated thus into the cavity. One could remain perfectly concealed. <laughs> so he has made the chair so that he can sit inside of the chair. He yeah. is the human chair. Right. It's the original tiny house. Not as creepy as I expected, but creepy in a whole different way. Yeah, creepy in a blue velvet. Yeah. I'm going to hide in the closet and watch people have violent sex kind of way. It's voyeurism, but it also has that aspect of a guy rubbing up against you on the subway. Ah, uh, yeah. Because that's that's what it really is. Also builds some storage space for food and water. It also says, for another of nature's needs, I also inserted a large rubber bag. Uh, he's not talking about a hot water bottle. Uh, he strips down to the waist and then he gets inside of it totally dark. He says it's like a grave. And he stays in there until... A guy comes and picks up the chair with him inside of it. So the guy moving the chair says, man, this thing's heavy. And then the, the dude's side gets a little freaked out because he's like, oh, no, he's figured it out. But no, he doesn't know. Nobody cares. And we've talked about this on the show before, but this is an opportunity to once again warn our listeners about a similar scam to this. If you find a suit of armor washed up on the beach, <laughs> don't take it home and set it up to make your study look more fancy because there's probably a guy in there and he's going to sneak out and rob you. Okay. <laughs> That's this guy's whole plan, though, with the human chair, or at least that's what he's saying his plan is. He says, my key motive in this mad venture was to leave my hole in the chair when the coast was clear, loiter around the hotel and start stealing. Who would dream that a man was concealed inside of a chair? He's got a point. I don't think about that ever. When I no. 
It never occurred to me. It's something that I may now, but yeah, me too. It's a it's a great <laughs> idea. And he loved this because he could sneak out and forge and steal. And if any alarms were tripped, he would just run back and hide in his chair, and then nobody would be able to find him because nobody thinks to look inside of a chair for a person. He compares himself to a hermit crab. As soon as it hears footsteps, quickly retreats into its empty shell from which hiding place, with gruesome hairy front legs partly exposed, it looks furtively about. I was just like this freak monster crab. <laughs> so he does have some idea of his own... Deviancy? Deviance, yeah, exactly. And he gets up to semantics. It says, imagine the thrill and excitement of being able to rob to my heart's content. Not to mention... Which, by the way, what is that? I, I like, rob to your heart's content. So that means at some point you go, ah, I've robbed enough. I feel so content right now. Not to mention the fun I derived from observing the people rushing hither and thither only a few inches away under my very nose shouting, the thief went this way and he went that way, which sounds fun. But he's like, that's not what this account is about. Forget about those madcap adventures. Yeah. Let's talk about what I was really into, which is being in the chair while people sit in it. Yes. And this is where it gets even more creepy. <laughs> it's so creepy. At first, it's just a bunch of staff members, right? When it first gets placed there, they come in and check it out, but they're not there for long. But then he describes the first time a person really takes a seat. Sometime later, the sound of a man panting, all out of breath, assailed my ears. Before I could anticipate what the next development would be, a large, heavy body, like that of a European, fell on my knees and seemed to bounce two or three times before settling down. With just a thin layer of leather between the seat of his trousers and my knees, I could almost feel the warmth of his body. As for his broad, muscular shoulders, they rested flatly against my chest, while his two heavy arms were deposited squarely on mine. I could imagine this individual puffing away at his cigar, for the strong aroma came floating to my nostrils. Just imagine yourself in my queer position, madam, and reflect for a brief moment on the utterly unnatural state of affairs. As for myself, however, I was utterly frightened, so much so that I crouched in my dark hideout as if petrified, cold sweat running down my armpits. Yeah... Weird. I think part of the charm, though, for him is that it's this completely non-visual experience. Yes. You know, he says, I could distinguish the people who sit in the chair only as people who made weird noises, breathed heavily, talked, rustled their clothes, and possessed soft, round bodies. (laughs) Uh, But he's sensing other people. It doesn't have anything to do with appearance. Yeah, this went on for so long that he could distinguish who was sitting in him just by the Mm -hmm. way that they felt and how they sat. And then, of course, some (laughs) creepy talk about women. Yeah, it says usually women are classified in two large categories, the plain and the beautiful. However, in my dark, confined world, facial merits or demerits were of secondary importance, overshadowed by the more meaningful qualities found in the feel of flesh, the sound of the voice, body odor. Madam, I hope you will not be offended by the boldness with which I sometimes speak. (laughs) So, you know, I think he's just loving to be in a place where how you look doesn't matter. Yeah. And it's really more about the way a person feels. It's kind of like in Pulp Fiction when uh, Bruce Willis' girlfriend says she wants to grow a pot belly because she doesn't care how it looks. She just thinks it would feel good. Then there was this woman that sat on his lap slash chair and Mm -hmm. he just falls in love with her. She sounds European. And she would sing to herself a bit when no one was around. And since he's so ugly, he's never really had this kind of contact with a woman. 
sitting on his lap is really intimate and super creepy and not consensual. My skin virtually touching hers through a thin layer of leather. <laughs> mm. Oh, he forgot about his robbery stuff and he just got into this woman. And he starts to mm. think, maybe this is actually what I should be doing with my life. Like, <laughs> not robbing, not making money. I should just be in this chair having this relationship. Right. And that's that's in quotes. You can't see my finger. This relationship <laughs> with this woman in a chair in the lobby. For those who were as ugly and as shunned as myself, it was assuredly wiser to enjoy life inside a chair. <laughs> <laughs> so months go by and he gets physically worse. Since he's cramped up in the chair so much, his body would just he would get muscle cramps and his, he's all messed up and by the time he's sneaking out he actually has to crawl on the ground to get to the washroom oh, which is so creepy if you think about the uh -huh. dude peeling himself out of the chair and then like scurrying across the floor dragging uh -huh. himself it's all oh. <laughs> now this woman that he's into she she moves on it's a hotel so she's not there for very long and he talks about other love affairs again air quotes, that would happen. And he goes into a lot of creepy description about the different types of bodies of women that would sit on him. Yes, some of the women possess the firm bodies of ponies. Others <laughs> seem to have the slimy bodies of snakes and still others had bodies composed of nothing but fat, giving them the bounce of a rubber ball. Very odd. There's, this, there's also this part where a famous dancer sits in the chair and it thrills him. It says, on this occasion, instead of my carnal instincts being aroused, I simply felt like a gifted artist being caressed by the magic wand of a fairy. <laughs> Well, man. After a few months more, the hotel is sold and the chair is sold, of course, to new owners. The Westerners are leaving and the hotel falls into Japanese hands. They're going to be a little less uh, luxurious in their amenities. Right. So the chair, the chair has to go. And he's bummed out, of course, but he thinks that now, since he's going to be sold off, that uh, it's time for him to get out of the chair, take all the stuff that he's stolen and live really well. But he starts thinking about this companionship that he only gets from his charism. Charism. And that's what I'm calling this charism, yeah. He says that the foreign women were fun, but that he needs a Japanese woman, someone like himself. So maybe his chair is going to get sold to the home of a Japanese woman. Yeah, and he's so delusional. He says, I was forced to admit that although my love affairs had been many, they had all been with foreign women and that somehow something had always been lacking. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe the consent of the other person. Yeah. Could be. Perhaps. After a few days in a store, the chair is purchased by a high-ranking official who lives in Tokyo. That had bought the chair, he bought it for his wife, and she was young and pretty and had a Western-style study. Mm -hmm. uh, this Japanese woman was the best. He is super into her. He's obsessed with her. Before, those crushes that he had were nothing. This is true love. And he wants to tell her. He wants to show her his true self. says, I had come to be with a wife constantly. United with her as one, so to speak. With the exception of the dining and sleeping hours, her soft body was always seated on my knees for the simple reason that she was engaged in a deep-thinking task. Oh, man. But how could he approach her? How does he signal her? Yeah. yeah, if he came out of the chair or just started talking, you know, she would freak out and he would go to jail. Right, although he could just try to convince her that he's a talking chair. I thought that could have been a good direction. <laughs> Be to try to pull a cherry, you know, like from Pee-wee's Playhouse. All right, yeah. I love you. 
Well, I have a talking chair. So his plan was to just try and be the best chair that he could be for her. Mm-hmm. He would shift his knees into the most comfortable position. He would move his weight around so that she would be more comfortable. If it's the best he can do, he's going to at least make her love the chair. The chair right. is kind of a proxy for him. And he knows that she actually loves this chair. So he's successful in that respect. Now in the letter, he tells her what's up which I, again i gotta say i didn't see it i didn't see it coming i didn't either okay good i felt a little dumb but when he started i felt saying, totally stupid i was like yeah. oh whoa. he says no doubt madam by this time you must certainly have guessed who the object of my mad passion is to put it explicitly she happens to be none other than yourself madame what? oh no oh so no. she's like sitting in that chair right now yeah she's sitting in the chair reading the note oh and i was like oh that's good i I, uh-huh. I did not see that coming now that is using a nested story well that's it's great he says that he's out or he has been out around the house if she wants to meet him she should put a handkerchief on this plant outside and that he'll knock on the door and then she could answer the door and that's the end of the letter yeah, yeah, he snuck out and, and wrote this letter, and, and that's what he's trying to do yeah. now. She runs out of the study into another room of the house, is freaking out, trying to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. She's just thinking there, like, uh, is this guy actually, was he in the chair just now? Is he creeping around my house somewhere? Or is he actually outside? And as she's thinking about this, a delivery man arrives with another letter. And this is the same as the first letter, same handwriting and everything. Forgive my boldness in addressing another message to you. To begin with... I merely happen to be one of your ardent admirers. The manuscript which I submitted to you under separate cover was based on pure imagination and my knowledge that you had recently bought that chair. It is a sample of my own humble attempts at fictional writing. If you would kindly comment on it, I shall know no greater satisfaction. For personal reasons, I submitted my manuscript prior to writing this letter of explanation, and I assume you have already read it. How did you find it? If, madam, you find it amusing or entertaining in some degree, I shall feel that my literary efforts have not been wasted. Although I purposely refrain from telling you in the manuscript, I intend to give my story the title of The Human Chair. With all my deepest respects and sincere wishes, I remain cordially yours, Edogawa Rampo. That's it. That was a good one. So while the story is about a person sneaking into somebody's life via this chair, it's actually the manuscript that was snuck in. Right. He created this hoax to get her to read. Yeah. To get her attention, he had to make the thing seem true. Although I also thought, well, maybe he is watching her. And he saw that the confession freaked her out. And so real quick, he wrote this little last note and <laughs> sent that over. Like, no, 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 it's all, it was all just a story, you know? Like, they, you could do a second ending where she's like, oh, what a relief. And then, you know, she lifts the cushion of the chair and there are all his pee-pee bags are hanging there. And, oh, no. <laughs> it was true. I got to say that, that there is a lot of fetishism in this story, which is something we never really come across in our stories. I guess it... No, it, not so much. I don't know if it's that in Japan, especially in the 20s and 30s, if this stuff was more acceptable to talk about or not. Because, I mean, I really have never read anything like this from this time period. This seems very modern to me. Well, uh, you know, it seems similar to to stories by Poe that are about obsession. But this having its particular, what is it called, frottage, you know, I mean, having this 
that he's you know touching and rubbing against people for yeah. sexual gratification. Yeah, I, I'm really curious about this guy's stuff, and I definitely want to read more of it because it. I really didn't know where it was going. I, I I don't know if he's touching on maybe some cultural myth at all, or if if it makes more sense. Like there are other tales like this that we're not aware of because it's from a, <laughs> a different culture. I don't know. I feel like the guy just went, what if there was a dude hiding in a chair? That would be a great story. <laughs> it's like a Trojan horse on a very small personal level yeah it, it's really cool and i'm i'm so glad that uh, it was recommended to us i am too and i don't know if i ever talked about this on the show before but there was a prank i played on a mutual friend of ours back in early dot com days when sure classmates.com was a thing oh yes um, i know pre, what, pre I know the story media. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. And sh- she had done something kind of mean to a friend so i decided to get back at her and i looked up her high school and you could see lists of people that were that she went to high school with right and i picked a guy's name that sounded kind of, I don't know, just bland, just really out of a hat. Sure. And I made an email address with his name. Yep. <laughs> and I wrote her and said, hey, I haven't talked to you since high school. And she fell for it. She was like, <laughs> oh. And the, the tone that she took with me in the emails was very kind of standoffish, not giving too much information. Right. And I kept writing with her and I could tell it was a little like, what does this guy want? You know, and then uh-huh. she started suddenly talking about her husband and this uh-huh. and the other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's trying to, she's <laughs> trying to get, get rid of him. But in a polite way. Right. And then I said, well, you know, I'm actually in Los Angeles right now. You mind if I come by? And she's like, wait a minute. What are you talking about? I was like, oh, I got your address. And I put it in the email. And I think she called you. She did. Like, this guy's coming over. I don't know what's going on. Such a good prank. It was exactly like the end of the story. Then I called her and pretended to be the guy. And she there was this pause. And then she was just like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I had her so freaked out. It was a kind of a uh, mean trick, but but it got this. It had this exact same effect where she was suddenly like, "This guy's showing up at my house any minute." That was, I mean, I believe that she had pulled some kind of prank on somebody else, and it was kind of yeah. she had it coming. She did have it coming, yeah. And I was I was very proud of that. I was proud that it came off, you know that because if it had been the wrong classmate, she just would have been like, "Huh, I talked to you last Tuesday, you right. know, whatever." Yeah, but found. she did kind of know who he was, and he was kind of a weird guy, so it yeah. totally worked. <laughs> Next week, it's going to be another surprise. It's Potpourri December listener member. Listener member December. We're not sure what forever. we're going to pick. We're going to go through our list, grab something on social yeah. on social media. We'll we'll post it. I'm looking forward to next week. Chad, I hope yeah. your your oral surgery goes well. Thank you. I, yeah, I don't know if I'll be recording before or after, so I could be positively Nixonian on the next show. We'll have to see. <laughs> And I also want to thank John Hancock for once again doing an awesome job. He's so amazing. God bless you, sir. He's an awesome dude. Thank you so much for helping us out. And that's all we got for this week. I'm Chad Fife. I'm Chris Lackey. And you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com. Podcast.com. <laughs>